Shut up. The podcast is starting. Yep. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Celluloid Breakdown. Bienvenue. I'm Joey Bonnier. To the right of me is Mr. Sean Faw. Truffle. Across from him is Derek Laporte. Yep. Next to him, Tim Snow. Also known as Old Tamer. I go by Old Tamer now. That, is that, that the new thing? Yeah, that's, that's, I'm the kind of guy that gives himself a nickname. Right. Now let's talk about films. <laughs> <laughs> this week, we watched Rules of the Game. La Règle des Jeux. Directed by Jean Renoir. Jean Renoir. And uh, let's dive right in. Derek, I go to you first. Okay. Pretty much always. For first impression? First impressions, Derek. What uh, are they? This is like, uh, I don't know how many times I've watched this movie. So this is like oh, wow. a bunch of times. I would say uh, there's always something to be found in it. And uh, I like it. It's a really good movie. There's a whole lot in there. And each time there's something new. What did you get this time? Hmm? What's the new um, thing you got? A few interactions of like some of the like side characters um, and that maybe I didn't notice before uh, some of the nuance in the acting and uh, just in general, this sense that there's a lot of stuff that like you get with this, that there's a whole life going on outside of the frame that you just happen to be looking at this occurrence that's happening in this room, but that you could be in like some other part of this, like actual, like this, the chateau, for instance, you could be in a different part and you would see something else going on, you know? Uh, and so it, it doesn't feel acted if you know what I mean. It just feels kind of like almost like documentary in a way. It's not like a documentary, but voyeuristic or sort of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Tim Snow. I don't know why I said Tim Snow. Tim. Well, I mean, that's my name. Old well, Timmer. Old we're, Timmer, please. We're a little bit more informal please. than that. Old Timmer. Old Timmer uh, from the North. Sorry, Old Timmer. No, the uh, um, bastard from the Midwest, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, I really, really enjoyed this one. I, I had a great time watching it. Um, I thought you had to look at your notes to figure out if you enjoyed it or not. <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed says check mark has got a check mark. There. Liked <laughs> final calculations. No, um, yeah, uh, you know, contemporarily, a lot of comedy films are uh, big ensemble comedies. I think, mm. um, and this was uh, this this was interesting to see. Uh, uh, I I don't know why I love French films so much, but I mm-hmm. really do. And I thought this was just great. I thought it was an excellent uh, an excellent commentary. I thought it was hilarious. Um, I really liked all the characters. It was just it was it was a just a joy to me. I really enjoyed uh, seeing the movie. And like Derek said, there's a lot to unpack, such that like I'm just you know uh, almost having trouble articulating my thoughts at the moment. Cause there's just, there's a lot going on in this movie. Um, but excellently acted. Uh, I, I love, I loved Renoir's, uh, use of cinematography because it's, it's seemingly, it's at the same time, uh, impersonal and deeply personal. Um, and, uh, just the dichotomy of that I really enjoyed. Um, yeah. 
you know, I don't want to trail off too much because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of dead air. But uh, I, I really, I really liked. Uh, it's very yeah. dramatic. Yeah, I thought it was quite dramatic. good. Yeah, it's you know dramatic. Yeah. Okay, Jean Paul. I'll pass. Really? He has no first no impressions? impressions. No, no. Like I'll pass on this movie. Like, oh, it's. <laughs> <laughs> It, it, yeah. What does that mean? Take it uh, yeah, I don't really have any, like, so first off, um, everyone knows my hatred for reading movies. It defeats the purpose of going to see a movie in the first place. Um, but, I mean. Learn French. Yeah, I mean, fuck no. Um, the, I mean, that would require learning the language for every movie that I'm going to watch. And no, just, just learn French. You'll be fine. Fuck that. You see um, the best movies, so. Yeah, honestly. No, I just, uh, I mean, it's so apart you know, from the subtitles, a yeah, lot of rich people running around through doors and trying to fuck each other, and no one really cares. Like, none of these characters like had any real reason to be doing what they were doing. It was just kind of like a whole bunch of bullshit, and I didn't really care about anything. Hmm. I mean, there were some amusing moments and some decent lines, which may have been translated better or worse than they were intended, but. Um, you know, I mean, I have no reason to really watch this again. I assume that if I studied it and watched it a few more times, I would find some nuance and some subtlety in the acting because I missed almost all of the acting because it's really fast in a lot of reading. Um, but it's, you know, there's, I just don't care. <laughs> huh. Fair. That's an opinion. That's fair. It's an opinion. Okay, um, I'm kind of, I, I do feel you, Sean. I don't think you're coming out of left field here. Yeah. Uh, I do, I think I'm kind of in the middle of both, of all you guys. I think I did enjoy it. I It did, didn't really do it quite for me. I didn't em empathize with the characters as much as I think I should have. Um, I, I couldn't keep the characters straight. I did didn't you, know who the fuck was who. Did you feel that that was the point, Derek? Um, Keeping character. Hold on, straight? can I finish my uh, first yeah, impression? Finish oh, your oh, first we're impression talking here. over Joey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Joey. Finish Pardon your us. thought. Yeah, go ahead. Finish the thought. Excuse me. I, I just wanted to. <laughs> I love that you're clutching your pearls. Right now. <laughs> How dare you? All right, no, 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 no. Joey. What'd you think? Uh, I, I don't know what I thought. We care about your opinion. No, no one cares. <laughs> I don't know what I thought. Again, I just think it's okay. I think it was a, a good commentary on what French society was like in 1939. Interesting. I like that. And from a historical standpoint, super interesting. But again, I just don't think the acting did it for me. I wasn't quite into the main characters. I didn't really like either of the guys who we were kind of supposed to like. Um, Are we supposed to like anybody in this movie? Are yeah. we? I mean... I think you're we're making. Not, we think we think we're supposed to hate everyone. I don't. I don't think you're supposed to. hate I thought everyone. you're supposed to like the guy who dies. The, no, the pilot. I don't think the there's pilot? no like spoiler alert. There's no. I don't feel like there's anybody who is. I thought the main we were all character. rooting for him to end up with the girl. No, mm, I was. not really. I I wasn't rooting for anyone. Yeah. And okay. Maybe. I'm well, not. so Sean's on the same page with us. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand the French. Yeah. I just don't like them. I, I get that you guys are trying to say that it's like an ensemble and there's yeah. no real protagonist. I just happen to think that they were trying to lean towards the the pilot as the protagonist or the guy because I He's think- He's the most the, sympathetic, yeah. Well, because I think in the end, to me, when, shoot, uh, Oct Octave- Gate basically gives him the coat and says, you know, go to the greenhouse. I think he's basically saying, you kind of deserve to be with her. Um, and then he gets shot. And, and it's a tragic- you know, ending. And I think that we're supposed to feel that. I think we're supposed to feel the tragedy of it because we want him to end up with 
pristine, right? Am I wrong there? Am I way off base? I still think it's tragic, but it's not necessarily because- It's more about life is tragic than- uh, For yeah, sure. I'm it's not, because I don't want to boil where... it down to that, but I'm just, I'm not saying that's the overall message. I'm just saying in terms of who we want to end up with the girl, I think it's him. I'm sorry, is his name Andre? Andre, yeah. Yeah, Andre Zirio. No, no, the pilot. Oh, the pilot, yeah. That's all. Okay, whatever. The point is that it's pretty good. Um, I was bored at parts, I'm honest. And I do feel you, Sean. I think a lot is lost in translation. Uh, and I do have problems with subtitles. I'm trying to get better at it where I like look up and try to read it in the periphery of my vision. Yeah, and then- It's just yeah. tough. It's just tough. Especially, especially with it was so, so fast fire that this was. Like there's you know, just a lot of dialogue. Yeah. Mm. All right. Um, so Sean, can I take us through some of the basic plot points here? Um, bunch of rich people fucking around in the castle. The so end. I'm gonna. So <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, take take over so, here, Tim, so, with uh, some plot. Yeah, uh, the, some actual. The, the film on opens in on a uh, on a French pilot landing uh, a transatlantic flight and being hailed as a hero. You know, to the to the likes of uh, that other fucking dude. Who's that guy that was lazy with his kid? Um, um, you know that guy? Lazy uh, with his kid? Uh, oh, Lindbergh. Lindbergh, oh, that guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I thought you were already pulling out the Clapton references. No, no, no. <laughs> I thought we There's were a connection there. But. No, but he's, he's, he's basically he's being hailed as the French Charles Lindbergh. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gets out of the plane, and to our surprise, uh, he couldn't care less about the trip. He's just upset that his love wasn't there mm. and it opens on this premise of nothing matters except for the person that i love um yeah. and from there we go into this kind of musing on french society we meet a lot of different characters um everybody's talking about uh uh, uh going to this place uh the colonier uh the hunting the club chateau. essentially <laughs> yeah the chateau yeah. yeah the chateau yeah um and uh, so everybody goes to the chateau. It's a it's a kind of a getaway weekend sort of party that centers on a rabbit hunt, mm. mm-hmm. rabbit and pheasant hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and pheasant. when everyone arrives at the chateau, we find out that uh, everyone is Buggity in Jimmy. love with somebody else. Pretty much, right? Everyone is everyone is not true to their uh, to their you know betrothed. And it's sort of a, uh, I see it as sort of a piss take on, on the, the idea of, of, uh, like French amorous, like the, you know. Yeah. Maybe uh, the, yeah. I mean, I mean, basically there's, there's a bunch of different, uh, kind of love triangles, but there's also like some unrequented love, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. a couple of situations of that. Yeah, and um, so so we get introduced to all these characters. Everybody's in love with somebody, and everybody uh, feels responsible to somebody else, and and they're all struggling with that uh, in a really dry sort of manner. Um, you know, it's a it's a very uh, on its face satirical film. Uh, there's a couple of really really fantastic sequences in this. Um, mm -hmm. One of them being the uh, the rabbit hunt, where we kind of see certain things start coming to a head. And yeah. uh, we move into, you know, as, as lovers find out uh, or as wives find out about, uh, about, you know, trysts between their husbands and their mistresses and so on and so forth, uh, everything starts to kind of ramp up. We get to a dinner party scene where everything kind of comes to a head and there's a big, uh, 
a big yeah kerfuffle. It's like a human hunt almost at that <laughs> point where everybody's just chasing after everybody. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, from there, uh, uh, Derek, finish it off. Uh, from there, uh, basically, it leads to tragedy, which, uh, you know, seems like it's, you kind of feel like it might be going that direction just based upon the insanity that occurs. Well, there is the specific setup where the Lord uh, has that little sort of side conversation at one point where he's talking about how, like, you know, you hear these stories about how, you know, the lowly uh, street uh, guy will go. Uh, you know, trying to pick up the wife of the Polish guy and then it ends up with someone being stabbed yeah. and then they just kind of like laugh and walk away. Right. But I mean, you know, that to me, that's just a foreshadowing of like the, you know, exactly yeah. what's going to and happen. even the hunt is kind of that yeah. too, because it's almost like the exact same situation in which we linger on the last rabbit shot yeah. and we see like it stretch and then die. And do you think more animals died in this movie or in, uh, um, Stagecoach? Stagecoach, yeah. Probably state. <laughs> Hold on, I'm thinking. I'm thinking yeah, here. I'm not sure. Is a rabbit's life worth as much as a horse? Yes. Is worth as much as a man's. Is worth as much as Not a as bad as Wake and Fright, though, where they have the kangaroo hunt scene, which is much worse than this. Mm. Also not quite as gratuitous as necromantic. Mm. Yeah. But- I don't know anything about either of those movies, but were animals actually dying in those movies? Or just, yeah, there's okay. a scene in Necromantic where a guy kills a rabbit for seemingly no fucking reason. But yeah. but it wasn't prop. It was an actual real. Yeah, no, yeah, he yeah. actually like slits a rabbit's throat. Yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of shots of like, you know, just animals dying in this movie for like the gratuitous purpose of showing it on celluloid. Yeah. The, I don't know if it's gratuitous purpose it's, I mean, it's of showing comedic, it on. But it comes across. I don't think it's comedic. Yeah, either. I didn't see that I scene as comedic. Do not see that at all I, I as don't comedic. Think, first of all, it might be gratuitous in in a good way, in, in on purpose. You know, it's that especially when the rabbit was wrangling on the ground for a good five seconds. Well, I think the violence is gratuitous. Right. I just don't like think that the scene is gratuitous. gratuitous. There's a difference between. What were you supposed I, to feel from that? You were supposed to feel that the violence is gratuitous. You're not supposed to seem like the scene is gratuitous. Because so we're supposed to say think that these people are like villainous monsters for killing all these things? I would say that you, I would they're think that's pretty for the I, 1930s. No, I, would I think say we're that just supposed to be surprised and by it is the violence. Woke. I think it is yeah. woke for the it 1930s. Is. It is absolutely a woke movie. Hmm. Agreed. Like, I mean, there's, I sure, you can yeah, flaw it for, like, some of the stuff that yeah. it does, I mean, because it's it does have some moments of, like, stuff that's kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and some on intentional racism, too, I would say, probably in there. But there is some incidental... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, non-intentional. That's stuff, the thing. Like the hindsight here, it's really hard to parse what is like, you know, w- what is a shining a light on the dark underbelly of society, mm-hmm. and what is embracing the culture. That's fair. Like, without would, without would, you guys in the room, with me just watching this movie, mm-hmm. I got the impression that that's just you know kind of what French aristocratic society was. So without you telling me that this is a farce or a satire, I just assume that this is like a comedic version of a love romp because these types of, um, uh, we'll say like open marriages are much more tolerated in that culture. And it mm. seems to be an embracing of that culture from my viewing. No, I, I, I see it more as a critique even than mm. a commentary on, uh, on the French upper middle class. How so? Um, I, you know, it's just, it's, 
it's kind of like an unsparing view into like the much in the way that we're supposed to be surprised by like the violence of the rabbits, you know, the, the, um, the utter preoccupation with things that, uh, kind of don't matter in the. Yeah. Well, what do you think uh, Renoir was trying to say then about the upper middle class? They're indifferent to the violence of society. I think in, in, in some way. Yeah. I'd have to, they've got nothing better to do than to. I think too, this brings us into sort of the historical stuff on it because obviously like the time in which it was being filmed, yeah. it is very critical of French society during that time. I'm and using how language on purpose here. I'm, yeah. I'm playing yeah. tricks here. How they're, how they're <laughs> unaware, like how they were like unaware and maybe even through that unawareness, they were kind of, uh, kind of, they in some ways brought it on themselves, I think is in there, you know? Um, I mean, or, or yeah, I don't know, but I don't know if I want to go that far. Yeah. But maybe not that far. It but. definitely, this is the responsibility fault conundrum, uh, which is made famous by a lot of people. Then we talk about it a lot now with the Confederacy in that do we, do we blame the Southerners for being at fault? Or are they responsible, like for, for instance, promoting like the lost cause now or something like that? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think um, it brings me to a point. And I, I think that um, I liked what it was saying. And I didn't really realize it as I was watching the movie. It's only kind of looking back on it. But I always go back to this quote from Elie Wiesel, which is um, Elie Wiesel's famous- it's Tommy's brother. <laughs> Elie Wiesel's a famous uh, Holocaust survivor, wrote Night, uh, very famous writer. Uh, the point is he wrote the opposite of uh, hate isn't um, love, it's, it's indifference. indifference. And I definitely used indifference on purpose there. So I was trying to say that I think it, it was clear, and even Renoir, I thought, was making this critique of the upper middle class and that they're basically just so obsessed with their own little, you know, right. minutia that they're not really looking around and seeing what's going on. I, 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 well said, you know, and I can see how the French society would not take kindly to this film. Yeah. Definitely a big... Is that what happened? Big mirror in their face. Right? Yeah, they did not take kindly to it. Yeah, they didn't <laughs> care for um, it. So what happened, Derek? Uh, well, I mean, apparently it premiered. So so Renoir, basically, he kind of started a cinema where he was going to show his films at. Uh, like Tarantino? And this was the first one. No, <laughs> well, I mean... More like intentionally so instead of uh, ancillarily <laughs> so. Yeah, by default. Because um, I just have these reels in my basement and nowhere else to put them. Right, yeah. Um, and so this was the first one. And uh, I mean, they, supposedly somebody tried to like burn it down. Hmm. Uh, that they were, and they were booing and they were doing all this stuff. And apparently he made cuts to everything that was booed at some points mm-hmm. after that. And so, uh, so this, the version that premiered was like a, it, it, it's longer than this version mm. by like only I, a few minutes. It's not a whole lot longer. Um, but subsequent cuts were such that like, there's like an 80 minute version of this film that existed for like the longest time. And then, mm. and then, uh, the original negative, uh, was destroyed in the in the bombing, like a, a accidental Allied bombing on the lab that it was in. 
accidental um, air quotes. Yeah, that's what they say. Um, <laughs> so, so it was destroyed. So it was lost for uh, like it. It was basically lost until it was reconstructed from uh, all these various prints that they had, and they had like two hundred twenty-four boxes or something of of negatives. And then they reconstructed it because Renoir was still alive, and this was in the '59, which is the version that we basically just saw. Gotcha. Um, which is its most complete version that's probably ever going to exist. Um, but uh, it's more complete than the original release. Uh, less complete okay. than that, but, but the, it's most the most that will have that will this, ever yeah, exist now. Moving so, forward in time. So yeah, um, apparently the they did not they did not take it very well. They took it as an attack. And, and, and there, there are situations in which one of the things being that, uh, that, uh, Robert being played by a Jewish actor, mm-hmm. uh, that was like an insult in some of their minds. Like they were like, how, how, you know, he would be a Lord. No, you wasn't, know, like that kind of, he was also uh, married it, to an Austrian. But yeah. wasn't it in the story that he was partially Jewish? Yes. So it's in the story, but also that the actor was as well. Like both of those things. Oh, okay. So they were objecting to the story itself, not just that there was a Jewish actor on screen. I mean, that he's playing a, that, that, that it's a lord. Like that, yeah, yeah, that, that any that of this is, is possible a, yeah, is yeah, uh, thumbing it, the nose. Yeah, they were thumbing the nose at that. So, um, and actually, uh, uh, it's interesting because that's the, that's the actor who's, of course, plays the croupier in, um, in Casablanca. It's mm. an uncredited part, but, um, He's the one who hands Rick the, uh, not Rick, uh, the, the guy, the winnings afterwards. He says, you're winning, sir. Oh. Remember after the guy shuts it down. Um, and uh, anyway, what, uh, Marcel Dalio. Yeah. So the Nazis actually uh, apparently took his poster and labeled him as the typical Jew. That's what they called. Uh, so he, uh, he was a, he was like. I guess fairly well known before this because of a bunch of because he was in uh he was in this but before this he was in uh the Grand Illusion or whatever and put in put him on there target right. anyway I think it's also interesting how it, this was supposedly the most expensive movie at the time yeah. and it was the biggest bomb it made hmm. no money mm-hmm. biggest failure he thought it was the biggest failure of his career until they got re released and got like yeah. this second wind yeah yeah um. I don't know. I think it's, uh, by the way, today, ironically, is Yom HaShoah, which is uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. So I don't know. I think it is a little bit interesting that we're watching a movie about difference towards what was happening and looking around you and seeing the forest for the trees and all that. And uh, yeah. I did also find it interesting that some of the topics that they broached were just happening to be uh, political uh, touchstones in our current uh, atmosphere as well. Mm. Uh, there was the sort of dropping into the vaccines. Um, you know, there was uh, there was just a few of those like weirdly like time relevant moments that kind of like struck me. Just as you know, if we had watched this five or ten years ago, none of those things would be like as relevant as they are. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um. What do you think about these uh, main characters here, about the acting? Um, so, so there's two people that I really like in this. There's one person whose performance I don't really care much for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care much for Norma Gregor. Her, Who's that? Uh, she's... Um, one of the uh, white ladies. Christine? 
Christine. Yeah. Um, the old white lady. There's a there's a mm. quote from a critic about her that she's like a, a a plastic giraffe in this kind of, and I can kind of see that. Um, wasn't a fan it's, either. It's a tough it's a tough thing because didn't do it. Fine. Uh, just yeah, average. I, I get that. Apparently, apparently she didn't speak any French when she did this film, so they were feeding her lines phonetically uh, mm. during the shooting of it. So. I mean, obviously, it's difficult to really <laughs> be in the moment when you don't know kind of what you're saying. Um, but but who I who I like is, of course, uh, Marcel Dalio is really good in this. But um, uh, the guy who plays the poacher is really great. Marcel, too. Like, yeah, he's yeah. my favorite. Yeah, he he's really funny. And um, and then I don't think that Renoir does. A terrible job. I, you know, he he brought uh, sort of a sense of slapstick to it. You know, he did a lot of the physical comedy. I think Marceau and him probably uh, carried the the lion's share of the physical comedy in this film. Yeah, yeah. But and then uh, Andre also is a little. It's kind of interesting though because it kind of works for those two parts. This Christine, who uh, everybody seems to like, but she doesn't seem to have much substance kind of works in that part. Mm. And yeah, I wonder if, with yeah. him as a hero, it kind of works because other than being the hero, we get the idea that he's a nobody. And mm-hmm. if he didn't have this thing, he would not fit at all within this so social flawed. structure. Such a flawed hero. Yeah. And, and shows she in many ways too. Like we're, she's not your traditional heroine that we're just supposed to be as flawless. So immediately when we're introduced to Andre, getting off his plane and he breaks down in that like national radio. Uh, it's yeah. very embarrassing. Like he, he's not your traditional, like, you know, right. Hero. And he breaks those rules. He breaks the rules. Like he shows who he actually is in front of all these people. And it's all about like, not really revealing yourself. Uh, like most of the people follow that in this. And in the moments where they do reveal themselves, they either apologize for, or they like, they course correct so to speak um and his down like there's a few things that make his downfall but one of those things is actually like he would probably you know by the end of the thing he would still be alive if he had not given in sort of to uh like if he had just acted on his own feelings and ran away with her if he didn't play by the rules yeah but then he decided to kind of half seize it and like uh uh, half sees it and had like, I gotta, you know, I gotta send her there and I gotta talk to the, because I gotta, you gotta know, ask permission. Right. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So it's kind of odd. Yeah. And it, I mean, just in that moment, you just kind of reminded me of something that just felt weird to me in that, like, it just completely felt like she didn't really care who she was with as long as she got the fuck out of where she was. So like, uh, each of the guys kind of like came up to her and she's like, yeah, take me away right now right fucking now and they didn't and then the next guy comes up and he's like yeah take me away right fucking now and yeah. then he didn't and i mean it just had like yeah mm. a weird context to it to me i she she has that line where she talks about the fact that she's lived a lie or whatever mm-hmm. you know for the last few years so um and then also she's supposed to be drunk so that that kind of works into it too but but that whole thing i think is that that maybe you know her reacting to the way Andre initially was right where he was like just showing himself just out there and then 
and then he's not that, you know, and that's what causes all that stuff. Yeah. There's all that talk about heroes in the sky, not being the same as heroes on the ground. Yeah. And, yeah. And yeah. What did you guys fucking think? Lindbergh of- would have still had his baby. Mm. Try to see him up. See <laughs> him right up. Yeah. What's up? Oh, somebody yeah. team me up for a clapping yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Thank ah. God. Yep. God, I'll, I'll shoehorn it in <laughs> later. Yeah. Was, um, yeah. John Renoir playing Octave, the director playing a huge role here. What mm. you, you guys think of him? He's, Way more slapsticky than I would have expected if you just told me that dude's the director at the beginning of the movie. Mm. I mean, he has a lot of wise moments. I mean, he is like voice of reason. And he gets to kiss everyone. And he gets to kiss everyone and tickle all the girls. <laughs> yeah, and slap some asses. Slap an ass or two, yeah. yeah. Uh, uncomfortable, Jean. Jean. Yeah, that, I mean, that, it's, that, it's that exact sort of thing that makes me question the wokeness of this movie. I mean, it's it, not know, woke when it comes to women. Well, and that's, what it, uh, that's for sure. But I mean, yeah, I mean, there's all of that stuff. And then like to, I don't know, it just, it feels very juxtaposed to. Women are treated like property. That's for sure here. I mean. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Be one. Yeah. When the two men are having their, you know, their it, well, it, I think that is an interesting point about the movie is that the men do treat women like property, but the movie doesn't treat women like property. So the movie itself does True. give these women like a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know, a headstrongness than you would see in a lot of other just kind of, you know, romantic comedy sort of situations. Mm. Yeah. Especially Lizette. Lizette kind of kind of gets to hold her own Which in a lot Lizette? of situations. Lizette is uh, Octave's, wife. yeah, Schumacher's wife. The, uh, She's the, the handmaiden. Willem Dafoe's wife. Mm. Yeah. I mean, there's a few moments there where it's like, uh, but, but for the most part, she gets to be kind of a bit stronger than you usually see in these. Well, parts. I mean, just the fact that she's, uh, you know, her husband doesn't mean as much as her job. Mm-hmm. In 1939, I think that is, I mean, maybe French culture was different or maybe my perception of 1939 isn't what it should be, but I would think that that would be something that would be, um, you know, kind of out of time yeah. and place. I yeah. did, I did yeah. find myself wondering a lot uh, as we watched this movie, because I, you know, I was really aware that it was a satire, but I was, you know, I found myself wondering, uh, like, Man, what was French society actually like yeah. in this time? You know, right. like how how important was was marriage and and uh, how satirical is duty? This? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to. I mean, just the way that it's all played off, like so kind of flippantly. Like in the beginning, I was kind of thrown when she's like, "Hey, is he your lover?" And then it's just like you know that mm-hmm. it's just. It, it was, you know, they talk about, they were talking about her husband and then they just start talking about her lovers and they kind of like play it off. Like it's just mm-hmm. a normal fucking thing. And to yeah. me, that's like that, that entrenching of that idea I have of what French aristocratic society is. Yeah. 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 You know, but it's, you know, this movie is also a satire. Like there's a, I think there's a scene in the little shop of horrors, uh, the original one where like two cops are talking and somebody's like, Oh, did your kid die? And he's like, yeah, yeah, he's dead. And they're like, ah, that's the bricks. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the old black and white version? I believe so, yes. Right on. I've only seen the Rick Moranis. Uh, when was that movie made? The original Shop of Horrors? I want to say like 50s, sure. 9s-ish. Oh. 
<laughs> mm. Yeah, that might be uh, foreshadowing mm. there. Oh, oh. Fantastic. Mm. All right. Well, yeah. Sean. Yeah. Is it that time? Time for what? To guess the gross? Oh. Um. Oh, exactly. <laughs> That's the perfect drop yeah, for it. Yeah. No. Yep. Freudian. Uh, it is Freudian. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyways, we're going to list some movies that are, uh, um, I tried to make a list and I didn't like it cause I didn't know what the movie was about. So I made a new list on based on romantic comedies. So, um, the first movie up that you're going to guess the gross on is actually the movie that this movie brings most to mind. Um, this is the movie that, uh, I probably saw a number of times when I was a kid, but this is the movie that like makes me that gives me that perception of what this term French farce means of people just kind of like running through doors of, you know, rich people bedroom shit. The big but, chill. Uh, no, uh, that is not. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> Jaws. Uh, there is no such thing as an overnight success. Br- uh, Brentley Frost Foster takes two weeks. Uh, this is 1987, directed by Herbert Ross, The Secret to My Success. During Michael J. Fox. If, if you're unfamiliar with this, it's a uh, Michael J. Fox movie where he's like working in a big office building for his uncle and then ends up sleeping with his aunt or something. Of yeah. Spin City fame? Michael of, J. Fox? Yes, yes. Of Spin oh. City fame. Yeah. Now I know who you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Sir Shakes a lot. Hmm. Yeah, you know that you know yeah. that nervous guy. So uh, what do you think this brought in in 1987 total domestic gross? Uh, Michael J. Fox movie in 1987? 45. $5 million. Dollars? Yen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing any more conversion. You do your own goddamn conversions. I don't have I'll that say, 45 uh, million bucks. All right. I'll say 60. $60 million, says Joey. I think that's generous, Joey. I'll say... I don't know, 61. $61 million. Just in case. Yeah, and uh, Derek prices is right prices right his way into the win there. I don't know how you pluralize or whatever. So more than uh, 45 million bucks. $66 million. Wow, barely. Be, I mean, you know, this is 87 Michael J. Fox. He's coming off that. Yeah. Uh, I suppose, yeah, you know, you know like the, everybody's the, like, oh, Alex Keaton. Yeah, and oh, Back to the Future. Oh, on the big you know, screen. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah, Back to the Future is 85. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good. That's a good one. Yeah, Back to the Future. Back to the Future. I saw that. That that's a good movie. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I saw Delorean it. today. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I love seeing Deloreans. It is kind. of... I've it, seen two Deloreans this week. Mandalorian. It still makes me happy every time. I saw a Delorean it's, in Burbank yeah. and I saw a Delorean in Manhattan Beach. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Nice. <laughs> Are you have, sure it wasn't uh, the same one? This, I'm not even joking. I'm this excited yeah. about it. I just love Deloreans. <laughs> yeah. Did it have the back fins? It didn't have the no, back fins. No, yeah, I think it actually looks better without the back fins. Um, you know, uh, no Mister Fusion. Yeah, tune into our DeLorean <laughs> podcast yeah. that Sean and I are going to record. Exactly. All right, gentlemen. So, love is in the hair. Nineteen ninety-eight, directed by Bobby Farrell and Pe- Pe- Bobby Fairley and Peter Fairley. Uh, there's something about Mary. Ooh, uh, love is in the I'm hair. Going, <laughs> let's see. Oh, that's actually fantastic. I'm going, <laughs> that is really good. Love really is in good. the hair. Holy really shit. Good. I'm going 108. 108. I know, it's high. $125 million. 125, says Tim. Should have done 109. Wait, what did Derek say? 
108. Say 107. <laughs> Woo! So it definitely didn't make less than 107. Mr. Tim Snow takes it. Yeah. At 176 million. Wow. So this is, this is the first time that I've won one in like <laughs> weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Ha. <sighs> Hot damn. Congratulations. Congrats. You, you get to you go first next time. You, you have a front row seat to my success. <laughs> the secret. It's a se- there is, there's there no go. secret, really. It's mostly guesswork. <laughs> <laughs> a comedy about one bride, two grooms, and a wedding party you won't believe. It is 1992, directed by Andrew Bergman, Honeymoon in Vegas. Good luck. It's a Nicholas Cage uh, starring vehicle. Oh, a vehicle with Nicholas Coppola. Um, honeymoon. I only know leaving You know, Francis Las Vegas. Ford's nephew. I think you should go first since you won the last one. He does. One. Yeah. Uh, so this is the, the weird one where, you know, uh, Nicholas Cage. I, I can't remember what year, but, you know, this is leaving Las Vegas and um, honeymoon in Vegas. Have you seen right. this one? Uh, yeah. Any cage rage in it? This is the Flying Elvises. Um, that oh, is the, yeah. uh, the kind of poster scene from it with all the uh, Elvis eye jumping out of the airplane and parachuting into Vegas. Mm. And then Nicolas Cage is one of them. Elvi? Basically, basically, this movie was made so that Nicolas Cage could dress up as an Elvi. Nice. <laughs> an Elvi. I like that you're pluralizing. Thank you. <laughs> it's the correct form. Uh, so uh, 1992's Honeymoon in Vegas. What do you think it made? Oh Jesus! Uh, this is not, not leaving Las sixty-six Vegas. million dollars. Uh, Tim Snow says sixty-six dollars. Joseph Bonnier, one point two five billion yen. <laughs> I'm gonna say eighty-two. Two million dollars says Joseph Bonnier. Yeah, it was. Derek. Shoot. Let's see. I'm going to do something weird here. I'm going to go $70 million. $70 million, says Derek. You all way overshot this fucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn it. Tim Snow is the lowest and therefore the closest at uh, $35.2 million. Two in a row, gentlemen. <laughs> Two in a row. I You're making a big comeback. Was. I wonder what the budget was for the film. I always wonder what the budget was. Thirteen dollars. Uh, yeah, really. $25 million, according to Box Office. Oh, so a success. <laughs> but the marketing probably doubled uh, maybe usually yeah probably <laughs> okay anyway. but then it probably made some back on video and uh, <laughs> yeah I don't know not enough cage rage gentlemen come as you are <laughs> 1996 directed by Mike Nichols The Birdcage ah Le Cage oh. Feu. It's Tim again. Tim's favorite. I love this movie. Small aside, I spent a lot of of time and effort in my junior and senior year of high school. So sorry to bump the mic. Uh, (laughs) Junior and senior year of high school to try and talk my... uh, drama teacher who who was the you know she ran all the plays and shit. Mm -hmm. I went to a uh, graduating class in eighty seven. It was a very small school, Um, but. 
I campaigned to get this to be the fall play for two years in a oh, row. Jesus. And she would, the thing she would always say is just, Tim, the town wouldn't have you. <laughs> and, and I think it's a great failure of Warsaw High School that, that they didn't allow this play sure, to happen. The town that was the reason I was not. have it. Yeah, I, I just. They wouldn't. Um, I, I, uh, it, I told her, it was, you know, just like, I'll join the, I'll join the thing. I'll do everything for it. I just really want this to be the fall play. And she wouldn't do it. Uh, $150 million. $150 million. That was way too high. <laughs> I'm going to go 101. I am $101 million. I'm still saying success. Joey? I, I think it's 95. Yeah, 95 Because it was, it was, such, a, it was such a big movie at the time. It was big. You know. He's I mean, having to do math. That's God, that, I, I just love that movie so much. Um. Yeah, Such the, a gem. Now the calculation, I believe Derek comes out just ahead. Motherfucker. We are $124 million. So $150. I did it. That's why there was a lot of math involved. Dad, <laughs> damn it. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. You, lo- you lose some, you get some. 2008, directed by Nicholas Stoller. Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Hmm. A forgetful movie. 137 yes. million. <laughs> no, I think this was a yeah, super yeah, hit. It. We got it. It was a big, it was a big hit at the time. Yeah, yeah. 137. Almost as big as Jason Siegel's dong. Damn. Actually, it was small. So it wasn't what? a big hit? He had a big dingle. Isn't that? No. Well, obviously, we just learned one thing about each of you. <laughs> well, darn it. <laughs> I thought I was working with a real piece of pie, Joey. <laughs> Uh, Tim, do you have a guess of the gross? Um, well, I mean, 2008 was a time fraught with uh, financial Turmoil. uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it's true. People couldn't afford to go to the movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, Adam like McKay movies. made a film about it, actually. If it um, helps, this was released in April. Adam McKay made this film. Is that true? No. Mm. Fuck, I'm wrong. I'm an idiot. <laughs> All right, 150 million bucks, whatever. 150 million. What did Derek say? Uh, 137. 135. <laughs> <laughs> 135. I hope it's 136. I really do. And it's not. Again, you all way the fuck overshot this movie. Man. I think I would, though. That means he wins. $63 million. $63 million? Yeah. That's not much. What yeah, was the that, budget on that? That was actually surprising. Um... People I mean, it go, was a time fraught people, with financial yeah, uncertainty. People weren't exactly going to the cinema. $30 million. Wow. It was April. The crisis is said to take place around September of that year. Mm. So, I mean, you know, people were already feeling the hurt. Yeah, yeah they you said know, the waters were happen. bubbling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. So, we got one last movie on the list. Everybody's tied, right? Everybody's got uh, two. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's a good thing I do you have, have one. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Later, Joey. Uh, yeah. Tim yeah, and Derek. So, so we'll see you, Joey. So, Joey can tie it up. Yeah. And then so, we'll here we go. Up. Here we go um, for the. He goes first this time, too. Oh. Since he won. Indeed. Imagine. Having to win over the girl of your dreams every freaking day. Oh. Uh, 2004, directed by Peter Siegel, 50 First Dates. 50 First Dates. Starring Samwise Gamgee. <laughs> yep. In a, in a in shirt, a shirt with like shirt. holes. <laughs> a mesh shirt. Mesh shirt. I mean, it is Adam Sandler. It is. Boo. Nerd alert. Um, all right. I'm going to say 78. Eight million dollars, says Joey. What uh, year was it again? Two thousand four. 
Ah, uh, a time fraught with financial irresponsibility. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, post 9-11, pre-financial collapse. Mm-hmm. Everybody's taking their shoes off before they post get on the airplane. Post.com bubble. <laughs> a, yes, a shoeless airport runway. We see the introduction of the skinny tie. Mm. Skinny ties are cool. Dope. I thought that was the I, 80s. I do like a skinny tie. Yeah, it's cool. I do like a skinny tie. Cool. What you know what movie like made? <laughs> right. Oh, right. Oh, right. Yeah. I fucking... <laughs> is it my turn? Yes. Yeah. I thought it was your turn. <laughs> I he, see. He already said 78. Oh, 70. shit. Yeah. He said 79. $79 million, says Tim. Uh, <laughs> Did you just say 80? 80. 80. At, least it, at least it wasn't dead air. You know? really fucked you. Yeah. $80 million, says Derek. And Derek fucks the hell out of both of you. Uh, 50 80. first dates brought in $120 million. Financial irresponsibility. What I tell you? What I tell you? <laughs> Guys, Adam Sandler always, sucks. What are always you doing? On in- Adam Sandler. Yeah, so if you like that suck. Adam Sandler movie, you're going to love the rules of the game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was guess the gross. Uh, 50 first dates had a budget of $70 million. 75, uh, sorry. Can we How, circle? Where, what do they spend 75 million bucks on? Crafty. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is Can a we, Sandler picture, so like, yeah. Yeah, th- that's the thing. Sandler pictures are basically just big vacations for everyone. Mm-hmm. So like he plans it around who he wants to hang out with and where they want to go, and then they write a movie about it. I mean, you know, hey, dude, he's, if it's working, Fuck whatever. Yeah, man. Yeah. 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 Can we I circle mean, garbage, back just a little ahead. bit Uh-oh. to the historical? Fuck, because I want to talk just real quick. Where did gross? You can't we did. I know, we just... Circle back just a little bit. Circle back. Because when we said that this was done like kind of around the the wartime, I think you're a circle jerk. Filming started on February 15th, 1939 Mm -hmm. uh, and did not conclude, I don't believe, until like uh, wrapped in June, finally wrapped in June. So that covered. that covered March 16th, 39, which was when Germany invaded Czechoslovakia. So, or sorry, Czechos- yeah. Yeah. Czechoslovakia. So yeah. war was impending. So it, it was sensed and then it definitely show, reared its, its head while they were still actually doing, uh, while they were still shooting. Uh, so much so did it affect this that apparently they lost, uh, they lost quite a, uh, several other films, electricians, technicians mm. joined the army. Yeah. Uh, one of the set designers left because he was Jewish and a communist. So mm. he's concerned. Yeah. Um, good time to leave. And yeah, then, uh, and then someone else took over as set designer. Um, so yeah, so all that. All, all that occurred, uh, you know, and then shortly after this, because, it, you know, like uh, it wraps in June, I think they premiere in the, like in the fall of, uh, or sorry, not even the fall, they released it in July 7th. So that was a quick edit there. Of 39. Yeah. July 7th of 39. Uh, and then kind of by the end of 39, um, you know, it's not much of a success, Renoir, gets an offer to go to uh to to leave uh France to shoot another film uh but then out of concerns for his um out of concerns for his his uh passport or visa or something um being denied he had to he ended up fleeing to America essentially um 
And then he was in America and he made some American films after this. I think five American films he made through the next 10 years. So he lived here and actually became a nat- naturalized citizen of the U.S. So hmm. uh, spoke, spoke some English. Were they successful, these American films? Um, not, not greatly successful. There's one that's considered to be um, uh, at least critically successful. It's actually in the public domain now. It's called The Southerner. Um, and I have not seen that film. Uh, I've seen the only other film I've seen of his, uh, well, I've seen, uh, the grand illusion and, uh, the river, uh, which he shot after America. He went to, he went to India and shot that. Um, and both of them are good, but, um, (laughs) but yeah, he had, so he had kind of this middle time, but he never quite made films like this in America, not quite of this quality. Um, so, uh, which was kind of sad because you you did have some people who came over here and then they did like work that was of the same quality. Um, but it just didn't, uh, he didn't quite settle in. I wonder if it was also like maybe to like a language barrier and stuff like that. You, You have to figure that's, that's pretty tough. Um, but, uh, yeah, but anyway, so so yeah, it was definitely right during the war. Sure, you know. Mm. Uh, I just want to also add for one more date for context is uh, the battle for France. The Battle of France started in May of forty, so you know, less than a year later, France was being invaded. Right. Definitely, the the writing was on the wall for sure. Yeah. Crazy. Film was made in the shadow of war. Yeah, and I mean, all these kind of films we're talking about for sure are. Um, so let's move on to how this movie sounded. Um, and I, I commented at first to Derek about the mix itself. And I said, this mix is so, uh, I wrote down professional and classy. And I was very shocked by that and how, um, again, how smooth it was and the integration, no music, the integration of background sound of diegetic music and sound effects were very modern. And again, for this is 1939. The only other 30s movies we watched, I think, were Robin Hood. And I don't think anything else. Stagecoach. Stagecoach. Nothing like this, though. And I even commented on Stagecoach how it probably needed more background sound for a Western and you yeah. know, more like crickets or whatever. Cobble. Better this, focus puller. This had an amazing True. use of frogs. I know that sounds really crazy, but if you listen to a lot of the background sound when they're outside the chateau, there's a lot of great uses of just the frogs going up and down. Is that racist? All makeup. You just made it. <laughs> God damn it. Fucking um, <laughs> Frenchies. So I just think it was a good use. And they did specific frogs. Like they had background, you know, layers of it. And then they had a certain frog in between the lines of dialogue. I do want to make one small critique and that I think they did a lot of it over a few lines of dialogue. It wasn't a big problem for me because I could read the dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I imagine if I'm listening in French, it might be a little bothersome because mm-hmm. – the frogs and our voices occupy the same frequency. Mm-hmm. You definitely want to be careful when you add a sound effect that overlaps dialogue at the same frequency. But back then, again, it's okay to overlap stuff. And I wanted to also transition that to a lot of interruptions. There's a lot of great background chatter and walla and really interesting interruptions, especially when we have the uh, the announcer, the radio announcer in the beginning. She's overlapping the uh, Andres when he comes back. And it's such a, cl- it's like a big, you know, chaos of sound and, mm. and it forces you to listen to multiple things at once. And again, we don't have that today. People just don't let the audience 
focused like that on multiple things. We don't right. give them enough credit. And I always appreciate that stuff when we look back and we see this, again, classy mixing. So uh, way ahead of its time. I, I was very impressed with all of the, the, the just this, the classiness of all of it. Um, the music itself, there's no real non-diegetic music. It's all source, you know, it's all shown. When you hear Mozart, it's when they're playing Mozart. Uh, when you hear Faustus, it's because they're playing Faustus. Uh, What's a Faustus? Uh, what is Faustus, Tim? Well, Faustian. Faustian, uh, sorry. It's a big sword, Will right? be the name of my firstborn son. <laughs> <laughs> Fa- yeah. Faust, I should just say Faust. No, Faustian. Faust. Uh, yeah, no, fa- fa- well, Faust is, a, well, Faust is that, uh, it's a, it's an old timey play that was featured in the movie Tombstone. So I know it. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Fucking> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's a, uh, uh, the a Faustus, Faustian bargain. Well, Faustus in this film is just played as a song. And, uh, uh, I think that the play that they do, um, in the, in the film is kind of somewhat loosely based on that. You know, well, we didn't get but lot, the story of Faust know. is the story of that feller that sold his soul to the devil or whatnot. You know, hail Satan. Well, yeah, doctor. Well, there's Dr. a lot too. I, I, yeah. We can doctor. read into this guitar. later. Faust. Say what? You got with the guitar? No, 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 no. That's a different feller. That's mm. that's the blues. The fiddle. <sighs> you know, I actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, so Kurt Russell directed this movie in mm. the '90s about uh, the West. Mm-hmm. Tum, tum, Tumstone. No, Tumstone? No. I thought it was the other one. The pizza oh, one. Oh, no, that was... Uh, yeah, you know that movie about pizza? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I felt like, uh, you know who that kind of reminds me of? Like, the way that people are talking over each other and we get that? Like, Altman did that. Mm. Altman did it all the time. And I think he takes a lot from this. Yeah. You know, and obviously he did Gosford Park, which is kind of this movie. Um, just remade essentially um but he clearly took a lot from this film uh creatively and it's i there was one thing that specifically that i really noticed in the sound which was um uh there was one time in which uh remember the warbler that warbler scene he gets it playing and then it gets lower and lower, and we know that he's yeah. getting further and oh, further yeah. away as they're about to talk about this uh, uh, this secret. And I think that that to me was like like th- I I haven't noticed that previous times necessarily. I mean, I've noticed it, but I haven't like paid attention to where I'm like, oh my god, that's genius. You know, that is one thing that, that I saw in this that I don't like I don't know that I've seen many films especially before this do that. Exactly. And um, I think that's what I was trying to say. I was like this is way ahead of its time and just yeah. the simpleness. Another thing I noticed was the horn that they kept playing, you know, that stupid horn. Mm-hmm. But they didn't just lower the volume. They added a high pass filter, which is uh, I'm sorry, actually a low pass filter. Jesus Christ. Meaning <laughs> I can't believe I said that. God. Oh my god. Pardon. I, I almost cut. Sorry guys, I just low almost walked filter, out of the high podcast, cut, you know. <laughs> Come see, come sa. It's like saying half, half glass. The glass is half full, half empty. I missed yeah. your joke completely, guys. I'm sorry. It's okay. Oh no, it, we were just good. We're, <laughs> we're so spellbound by it. It was such a good joke. By your glissando corner. Yeah. <laughs> the audience being able to process many things at once will yes. be well aware of the I'm joke. I'm sure they are. <laughs> yeah. Robert Altman switching back and forth exactly. style dialogue will be great for them. Yeah. So anywho, a low pass filter will cut high frequencies. So the, what it's doing is it's simply cutting the high frequencies, but still uh, letting the bass go through. 
which sim which is exactly what happens when you are far away from something, right? Mm. When you are far away from something, you only hear the bass, right? Bass travels farther than treble. So for instance, when you know, of your, course. your neighbors are bumping the dubstep music, you're only hearing the bass. Anywho, it's a simple thing, but they did really well. You know, it's for 1939. Well done, sirs. Yeah. And ladies, if there's any ladies in the it is France. Hopefully were there, there any were. were there any noticeable uh instances of tube ampery in this film? <laughs> yeah. What Could about you tube amping? What about expound? Uh, wax cylindry? Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there was much symbolism there or any deeper meaning, but I just loved looking at old tube amps and old yeah. technology. He made us just, rewind the film yeah. and play it back real yeah. slow. <laughs> Pause. Even. So we could, yeah, we paused on the tube amp and just to stare back, at it. And then Sean and Joey had a very heated discussion about <laughs> whether or not that thing was hooked up. And it was at that and moment it was like, that I knew that me and Derek yeah, were the only one we that were, were going to get this. Movie. Yeah, we. Yeah, it was that moment where I was like, "Yep, it's, it's you guys over. were sitting in front." Uh, so Derek and I generally sit behind Sean and Joey. Uh, for these screenings, and they're sitting there gib gabbing about the fucking tube amp. And I look over at Derek, and it's and I just kind of like it was a non-verbal, just like oh, so this is how it's gonna go. Yeah. Okay. Right yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Not enough tap. But uh, yeah, it was not plugged in. No, it wasn't. The speakers uh, weren't plugged in. The speakers <laughs> weren't plugged in. It's got an yeah. internal speaker. It's a goddamn radio. I mean, it was working. Problem. She turned it off in the. Yeah. She turned it off. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, she it was clicked fine. it off. I don't know what your problem is. Radio is fine. So back to the sound. <laughs> uh, I just wanted to also comment on some of the sound effects. Which were, were there actually any really sandos? Um, not really. I mean, there was some. There were some Turn natural ones now. in some of the. Um, in some of the uh, the Chopin that was being played. Anywho. Mm. Um, there was a lot of tension in the Foley. I thought they did a great job of sometimes like uh, using uh, the specific natural diegetic sounds like winding up the music box or there was a moment where Lizette pulled back the curtains and then said something really dramatic. So it was just nice use of, you know, using sound effects to add dramatic tension to each little line of dialogue. I thought, again, a little classy, very nice. Um, what else do I like? I liked the natural reverb on the gunshots. The Just the way that we used simple distance there with the reverb across the way when each time, you know, you see the gunshot going off every time he's walking through a different room. Uh, there was lots of gunshots going off when we were, you know, we shooting the pheasants and the, and the rabbits. It just gave you a sense of being there of distance. And, and, uh, which again was really modern for the time, which you're not getting this sense of immersion and experiential films because the sound isn't usually a lot like this where they give you these sense of feeling and perspective. So again, kudos. <laughs> yeah. Good job, John. Yeah, way uh, to go, bro. I just want also one moment. When there was one moment of the rabbit sound when it was dying. Did you guys notice this? There was no actual rabbit sounds, but they had one. Yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. it was like a rabbit wheezing. Mm -hmm. And I just, that sold it to me. That made me mm -hmm. really like upset when they were shooting the rabbits. Mm -hmm. And it, I thought, again, they didn't need to do a lot, but just one of those rabbits like, again, screaming, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah. I, I was reading here that uh, that like, He's he's on record as saying that he absolutely detests hunting. Yeah, uh, you know he he refused to shoot that scene. Oh really? Yeah, he didn't. He had a well, you know. He wrote I guess it? being so, he wrote it and everything, but he didn't want to be there for the shooting he wrote it of for it. the effect. And yeah, he didn't want to be there for the of shooting of it. He who casts the sentence, yeah, doth not swing the sword. Oh bullshit. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> so the so mightier. so actually, so okay, so. Here's the thing. Uh, 
Jean Renoir at this time, uh, he had an assistant whose name is Henri Cartier-Bresson, who oh. is one, if not the greatest, one of the greatest photographers who ever lived. Hmm. So him and uh, one of the other assistants basically shot that sequence. So, I mean, probably actually leaving it to him is not a very bad idea, you know? Because, uh-huh. I mean, that, that thing was photographed real well. Like, it was. I mean, it was no, a fucking, like, nature incredible. documentary. Like, yeah, <laughs> right? A lot of those shots were, like, straight out and of natural. And it was just so compact, yeah. you know? Yeah. It was really an assault on your senses. Yeah, yeah. quick cuts. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 12 rabbits in 53 seconds. Counted? Counted the seconds. Yes. Yeah. Well, I didn't count it. I, it was I've like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. He felt some it. Subsequent research. You, you don't. Yeah. You don't count your bullets. You always count your bullets. <laughs> you do you count other people's bullets? Because yeah. that's that's you very count important. way more important. You always yeah. count the bullets. <laughs> so the one thing where Sean and I agree. What else do I love? I love the music. Guys. They were double barrel shotguns. So the, count. the Mozart was really nice, and Mozart, uh, you know, known for being really an Austrian, coming from Salzburg, moving to Vienna, so, you know, exactly like Christine, kind of an outsider when moving to the King Vienna. of Risen shit. Um, also, what? what? <laughs> yeah, I just what? Uh, also, there was some Chopin. Chopin is the Polish composer. He symbolized pretty much Polish nationalism, which I think. We're supposed to say someone was Polish in this film. I forgot. Was it Schumacher? Was it someone else? Whatever. I don't think anybody was Polish. They just yeah. he they makes mentioned, a reference they, they about mentioned a Polish. It was yeah. the chef's story. Was yeah. right? No, no, the Polish was the uh, the road worker stealing the Polish guy's wife. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. An allusion to something that doesn't. Yeah. Allusion. Allusion. Yeah. Allusion to allusion. It's a trick. Well, well, that's all I have for the sound, gentlemen. That's it. Sounds good. Well, if you were to cast it today, who do you think might... Uh... Oh, Christ almighty. <laughs> um, who, who are we starting with? Jason well, Bateman as Schindler. Schindler? Schindler? Christine? Schindler? <laughs> uh, wait, Christine is the old madam, Christine right? is the blonde one, yeah. Okay, that is Jane Lynch. Dope. Yeah. yeah. yeah I can see that, yeah. Down. Yeah. That's fine. Oh, come on now. <laughs> That's fine. That's uh, that's that's spot it, on. There, there were just a few like moments of her posture, like the, she has this like sort of Jane Lynch has this like weird sort of pelvis out sort of posture <laughs> that like she, this uh, uh, this lady sort of took over a couple of times that just like made me make that connection. That like mm. and she would she would absolutely slay in that role yeah. too. She's just so funny. Yeah, and obviously John Cleese as the. Uh, 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 oh, see, I see Willem Dafoe playing that much better because he's got this ability to smolder in a in a, a laughable way mm-hmm. um, that John Cleese really doesn't. John Cleese he can doesn't do, have the a- evil or anger. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Just see, the and there was this burning rage mm-hmm. to yeah. uh, what the fuck is his name? Uh, pamphlet. Nope. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the the young girl's wife, her husband. What's his um, fucking name? Yeah, I don't remember the other white guy. Chubbuh. All right. Yep. This is a podcast. So yeah, uh, it's a podcast. <laughs> Let's keep it going. Moving on. Young girl's husband. Willem, you know? Yeah, the guy that looks like Willem Dafoe. Oh, shoemaker. Oh, shoe- shoemaker. Yeah. Shoemaker. 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 All right. So that was when you should have taken a bathroom break yeah. in the podcast. Yeah. yeah. Now that you're back. Um. But so uh, his wife is Felicity I think Jones. Felicity Jones. Who's that? I gotta look that up now. Rogues. Rogue. Could one. be. Uh, oh. I'm thinking. 
I'm thinking for Andre, we get Gilbert Godfrey. How old is he? He did. Wait, the which hero. one's Andre? Andre Godfrey. Yeah. <laughs> the aviator. The, the, oh, Jesus. No. The aviator. no. Gilbert Godfrey would have been a great. Uh, uh, oh, God damn it. I forget. The poacher. The poacher. The poacher. The poacher. The poacher would be Gilbert Godfrey without a doubt. Or Nathan Lane, perhaps. Nathan Lane's. You wouldn't buy the love interest as much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can sell it. How, how would you buy the love interest for Gilbert Godfrey? <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. He's at least creepier. Right yeah. Now. I guess. Yeah, he, would, yeah. he would be able I mean, to sell some Jane of the grins and smiles. It's Jane Lynch. It's not Jane Gilbert Lynch falling Godfrey. in love with Gilbert Godfrey. Yeah, that's fine. No, it's uh, Felicity Jones and Gilbert Godfrey. Oh, no. Again, I'm Felicity saying. Jones. No, no. Again, Felicity I'm saying. Jones. Yeah. I'm, I just liked it because she played RGB. I'm saying Gilbert Godfrey still is RBG. All right, I didn't see that. I didn't see that one. Um, RGB is but uh, yeah. So and then uh, you know Jason Bateman as every other character. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah. It all makes sense. I like it. Octave. Who's Octave? Uh, John Favreau. John Favreau. Favreau. Fucking Favreau. He would direct the film. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, works very well. Yeah, very much. And then, then if you know John Favreau's in it and it's a comedy, we gotta throw that other tall fuck with the curly hair in there. The feller from Chicago, Will Forte. Nope. Errol. Will Ferrell. No. No. Fuck. What's you you know who I'm talking about? No idea who you're talking about. Oh come on. They were in Swingers together. Oh, oh uh, uh, Vince Vaughn? Vince Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a good guy. He curly hair. Does he he deserves hair? it. What? He's got curly hair. <laughs> he's got some hair. You're going to throw him a bone. <laughs> yeah, he needs something. Yeah. Either way, we'll make him... Somebody. No, he's the head uh, the head uh, servant guy, the guy with the gray hair that's slicked back. He could be the racist old cook. <laughs> also, yeah. That's Mel Gibson. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mel, Mel G. Give him something. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Give him nothing. <laughs> Actually, him and Vince Vaughn were in that movie recently together. What movie? Um, Dragged Across Concrete. Oh. It's not oh. bad. It's oh. not terrible. Mm. It's not bad. It's not there, as good as that guy's other movies. There's something about Mel Gibson's eyes. There's a sadness there that. It's from crying. <laughs> no, he's just got this intense, this intense sort of like, I, I would love to have a conversation with him on what he thinks the point of life is. I mean, this when he's knife. sober, when yeah. he's sober. <laughs> I'm afraid it might be slightly Hitlerian. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie was shot uh, fairly decently. Uh, it had a uh, very studio-ish quality to it. And I was very it surprised. It did and it didn't. Yeah, exactly. Say. Yeah. So there's there's kind of like ebbs and flows there, especially as you guys pointed out earlier that moment, the hunting scene. I thought the hunting scene completely stood out from everything else as well, being and the scene with a feeling different with so. Andre and Octave uh, when they crash the car. Yeah. 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 Also, really that was stands very out. different. Um, do we know anything about the history of that specific scene? Was that um, was he, the anti-car that crash that was, and had to pass that one off? No, too? I saw that that one was like <laughs> one of the. I think the that was shot like separate or last or mm-hmm. so. You know, there, there was like I, some article that I read about that being not shot in sequence with the rest. So. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, most of the movie was shot in sequence. Apparently, really, yeah. That's why actually, it takes fucking six months to shoot it. Right. Yeah. And um, uh, but yeah, I think I think that one was separate. The the hunting scene clearly like 
done a whole other time because he yeah. didn't have any. He, and he, and he the thing it said he was editing. Yeah. Well, you're shooting for six months. You might as well have your editor working. Yeah. And I mean, he, he edited on set in a sense too because, uh, well, because apparently um, uh, there's a quote from Cartier-Bresson that, uh, that each day it was kind of like a jam session. So the actors would kind of like he he get all the actors together and then oh, they so would like, like a Christopher suggest, Guest movie? Yeah, they would just suggest <laughs> like suggest lines and ways of saying things and mm. then they would kind of kind of do that and uh in a sense I think that that helps it to probably flow together and it feels like feels like if everybody I has French, something. Maybe? I um, understand a little bit. I of think French. I I think though you still have to give it props that uh, it seems like in every scene, there's so many things going on and everybody is doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Like people have some specific thing that they're doing. Yeah. Like everyone has their own reason for being, and it's not, it's not everything centers around a character and everyone's just an extra waiting for something to happen. Right. Everyone has their business. Yeah. One of the things that stood out to me is, um, and actually I have a thing. So so Andre Bazin was uh, who who this was dedicated to because uh, this is the the reconstructed version that we watched uh, is dedicated to him. He never actually got to see this version of it because he passed away before uh, before this. So he oh, only knew it as the 80, 85 minute version. Uh, but he wrote like a he wrote the book uh, Jean Renoir. I'm showing it right now, guys. Podcast people. Yeah. Um, uh, if you listen closely, you he, can hear him yeah, holding it up. Yeah, you can hear. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to get more. That's the sound. <laughs> of trying to get more listeners. You know, <laughs> so you know read something. Happened in that um, book crowd. So he he mentions that throughout the entire last part of the rules of the game, the camera acts like an invisible guest wandering about the salon and the corridors with a certain curiosity, but without any more advantage than its invisibility. Camera is not not uh, noticeably any more mobile than a man would be. If one grants that people run about quite, quite a bit in this chateau. <laughs> and the camera even gets trapped in a corner where it is forced to watch the action from a fixed point position, unable to move without revealing its presence and inhibiting the protagonist. This sort of uh, personification of the camera accounts for the extraordinary quality of this long sequence. It is not striking um, because of the script or the acting, but as a result of Renoir's half-amused, half-anxious way of observing the action. So this is specifically that, like, one long take of the party scene where, like, all the sort of... Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was definitely a striking scene in that it, like, it felt almost like a modern-day Steadicam shot, just, like, how yeah. free that shot was. Like, it didn't feel... Like, it was very smooth, smoother than Steadicam, and it was definitely Dolly, but it was, like, a very free and, you know, freewheeling... <laughs> movement there yeah uh, yeah it felt a lot like just like it's <coughs> like being a a character at that party just being a casual observer you yourself become yeah. an extra in that scene yeah uh joey joey also noticed one because he's kind of said it out loud about that one scene that's just the it's kind of like almost like flashlights it's like lights kind of bouncing around on the people and we like we like her doing this slow dolly and we're reveal it reveals Christine. Oh yeah. yeah. She's still drunk in the party. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, there's a lot of moving lights in this movie. Yeah, there is. Yeah. And, um, uh, that, that does like, it does stand out as like a really striking part mm. because 
a lot of the times the camera is exactly kind of where I want it to be. Sometimes I feel further away. There's only a few times that that happened where I was like, where I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of too far away. And mm. one of the times is when, uh, of course, that, that most famous quote, uh, you read it earlier, the, or I don't know if you read it on the podcast, but you read it from the book. The one that uh, he says about everyone has their, uh, the one terrible thing. that Everyone, everyone has, has their reasons. Exactly. So the scene where he says that, it's kind of early in the film, um, we see him and Robert and they're, they're talking and it's kind of from afar. And, uh, and I just, I, that one was the only one that struck me as like, I don't know why we're like back so far, you mm -hmm. know, I do get that, um, clearly like he's doing a lot of like, he's doing a lot of deep focus shots in this. It's like, and some um, just out of focus, some are out of focus. <laughs> clearly, clearly that's one of those things though, where, uh, the technology was such that he was trying to push the tech. Yeah. He had gotten some lenses that were getting closer to it. It still wasn't the time. I think it was 10 years later or something, which was when Citizen Kane comes along and can do those really deep focuses because, you know, uh, technology has kind of progressed. But he was trying it at this time. And the idea is that uh, he didn't 16? want to... Was it... Uh, 16 millimeter? Uh, this film? Yeah. Was it shot? I'm not sure. Right on. Um, right. didn't mean to sidetrack it. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, yeah, I, he, he wanted to kind of not, he wanted to be real free, like, and allow the actors to perform and that whole kind of thing. Like the early kind of concept of, you know, like we'll see Cassavetes later, just lighting everything from the ceiling and like, and like, so that the, so that actors can block themselves and do that kind of thing. So this is kind of an early version of that in a sense. Uh, Altman too does kind of the same thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting shot film and there are a lot of super invisible camera movements. Like sometimes it pans and there's a little bit of a dolly move even. And, mm -hmm. and it's so, so well done that you have to be like looking for it, you know? My favorite, one of my favorite things about this was the composition of all the shots all the way that they literally framed each character with the background stuff, whether it's a plant or one of the music boxes or one of, you know, the dolls. I just thought everything was just definitely well done. I, especially at the end when uh, we see Schumacher shoot him and we see kind of, um, sorry, Andre walk right into view, right in between the two, uh, you know, brushes of, of, of trees. So it just, I don't know, everything is just framed so so well and it's just so classy again i didn't really notice too much of it but when i did i was just like oh it's just a beautiful shot just it, just, it looks very i think i think we've brought this up before on the podcast but it you know is that sort of that classic wider smoother sort of style that just feels like a little bit more just polished than a lot of what we see today you know a lot of things shot today are kind of shot to be on an iphone so when you have a close-up, it's a fucking huge close-up and like all of the wide shots are still like, you know, not quite as wide as they should be because people are expecting them to play on very small screens. So you get a lot of like moving for no reason and a lot of spinning and a lot of like just way closer bullshit. But this sort of, you know, the, the older school stuff like this does tend to, to live and breathe and let the wide shots just kind of take over or let the the action i should say take over the shot and let that dictate what needs to happen 
Um, one of the other things I would bring up, uh, talked a little bit earlier about the moving lights. Um, it really just struck me in that first scene when the airplane lands mm. and like the entire, um, I think someone made the joke that it was like the battle for Winterfeld because it was just, it was a very dark fucking scene and like, yeah. uh, you know, kind of barely lit, but just lit enough with like basically just one light on everything pretty frontal. And then the light actually follows the airplane coming in. So like you can actually see the light moving across, which is just, yeah, it, it's yeah, just it felt a little bit odd in that context, but it could also be kind of explained away as like landing lights. I think I gave it so so much props because we know how like Casablanca did that whole plane yeah, scene yeah. and how that's like so crappy and yeah. fake compared to this. <laughs> this feels real because that it that because it is. It seems like the like the plane comes like right up i'm like these people need to get away from this plane they're gonna get like they're gonna get chopped up you know just the uh the the cable that was running out like she was running with the cable from the microphone it was just Mm. so realistic it just made it feel like oh this is a real chaotic moment on the tarmac and look even she's running out of cable and it just felt very yeah i just didn't feel stagey at all it felt kind of like what you always picture the the hindenburg scene to be um you know all the hindenburg stuff you've hear about is mostly radio but like i mean not when hindenburg's going down you no no like the yeah pre the preamble to the crash so like when it's like kind of you know in the vicinity and everyone's gathering around and like there's just like a lot of commotion about this big event and then you know obviously it's a little differently yeah we haven't even mentioned and, and i think this is good to mention in the camera moment is is that his dad was pierre august renoir the one of the most famous painters in french history so oh. uh yeah. Very, very amazing that he kind of uses a lot. Of, I think of these frames as, as, I don't know, to me as, as paintings. It seems very, uh, very much impressionistic, just like Renoir. Yeah, sure does. Just, <laughs> sure I, I don't does. know. It's amazing that his dad. It's I amazing. Re- yeah. Who was surrounded Claude. by so many? Claude was his cinematographer, right? And his Claude Renoir, his brother. Let me check that out. Hmm. I don't think it was a cinematographer because Cartier Bresson was a cinematographer. Uh, he. Listed as an assistant of some sort ah, okay. uh, is what he was listed as. I think Claude did get. Uh, I thought he was like, like a producer or something. Director of something, but. Um, oh, sorry, yeah. maybe I'm wrong about that. Director uh, of crafty cinematography is by a few guys here. Okay, uh, it says Al- Alan Renoir though it is credited as one of the four. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So I guess he's. Real nepotistic dude, eh? Yeah, it really feels like there's a lot of Renoirs in this. I mean, there's a lot of his family, honestly. It is a family yeah. kind of paint. He had initially not wanted to play that part of Octave. He was supposed to give it to his brother, but uh, I, I guess his brother backed out or something, and then he kind of reluctantly uh, did it. And then he yeah. started cutting it. Yeah, the, the scenes that he yeah. cut were the ones that he was in. Yeah, yeah. And then he ended up putting them back in. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, I guess thank you, I guess the Jean producer Lamar didn't want him in there. Yeah, because I mean, you know, he apparently I really enjoyed was very his character. Yeah, yeah, he was, he was, he was good. Costume design by Coco Chanel. Correct. Yeah. Really, yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, Just so saw that. surrounded by a lot of like super talented people, right? Very because much so, I yeah. mean, we're talking about like people who are the greats in what they do. Um, kind of surrounded this film. Uh, just to, just to, just to wedge it here in camera. Cause there's nowhere else to really talk about it. Um, I, I like the fact that there's a lot of like focus on kind of technology and mechanical things in mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because he, he doesn't do close-ups so often so that when he does and it's on these mechanical things, uh, it's very clear that he's trying to get at something. I mean, we, we start with basically an engineer on a mechanical thing, right? This, this, the, and we've got the microphone and we've got the plane and we've got like later the people looking at the piano that plays itself. Mm-hmm. That's another great scene. Um, that scene where, um, uh, of course, Robert collects all these like mechanical things. Um, and it's almost kind of like um, he, it's like this desire, I guess, of these things that you can kind of control mm-hmm. or that just r- do themselves without you having to interact with them or do anything like that. Um, uh, that that's one of my favorite scenes in this, and I understand he re, he took a very long time to shoot it. Which it's scene? Just, I'm sorry, which one? The scene where um uh when uh Robert reveals his like uh his big like oh, the toy thing, music box. that mm-hmm. big music yeah, box yeah, yeah. thing yeah. with the three parts, and then it the the camera goes to like each of the little parts, and then it goes over to I love uh, Robert, and he's just his expression there, the way he acts, it's like. It's like he's kind of like uh, proud. He's also shy. He's also a little embarrassed. He does that thing where he like wipes his mouth, kind of covers his mouth at the end, yeah, um, to like hide his pleasure and kind of like yeah. It seems it seems interesting the way that that's performed. And I understand he shot it a lot, so it it really I think pays off because it's a memorable part, you know, even though it's so short. I thought it was cool when the machine broke and we got this record right. moment when mm. it was re- looping with this broken, high-pitched, squealing sound, which honestly was like uh, this dissonant, ostinato horror movie kind of thing. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And it completely changed the tone from this happy-go-lucky, oh, we're watching a jukebox to, holy shit, is getting serious. Well, that's basically when the gun comes out. And, exactly. that, yeah. you know, it, yeah ties together i'm not sure if it foreshadows or if it's exactly the same time but it is right yeah one after the other yeah bang bang if you will so what the hell's an ostinato oh uh an ostinato is like a a, uh, slang term for (laughs) i think it's a please finish (laughs) a repeating phrase i believe uh but usually it's like for me when i hear it it's usually with strings and it's Mm -hmm. usually for like a horror movie you know like it's like four or five notes oh kind of like uh, like that like psycho Sure. Like that re, 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 yeah, re. honestly. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's definitely because especially because it's repeated. Ostinato, bro. Yeah. Like Jaws? Uh, I yeah. winked. That was that was with the click for the listeners out there. Yeah. Mm. Old Timmer doing a wink. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So are uh, you ready to play a game? Yeah, fuck yeah. It. please. All right. Uh oh. Okay. It's Isn't called the- Guess the Oscar <laughs> Picks. <laughs> I didn't realize we made that a button. That's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very layered there. Okay, so uh, because we've time. already done the Oscars from the year 1939, from movies coming out of 1939, we're going to choose 1959 for this movie because, Derek. Because it, you're just making stuff up at yeah, this point, Joe. Yeah. You know what no, happened because- in the fall of 49? Because yeah, what happened in the fall of forty nine? Uh, what about the summer? Clapton's kid fell forty nine <laughs> stories. <laughs> 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 
I don't know why you picked that moment to do it, but more power to you for fitting it in. Wow. Wow. Okay. Oh, sons of bitches. So listeners, uh, first time listeners of the podcast. (laughs) Very confused. Okay. So uh, it it came out at the Venice Film Festival Uh, and was re-released in 1959. So that's why we're going to use this as the year. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) All right. Let's start with Best Actor, 1959. We have Jimmy Stewart for Anatomy of a Murderer. Woo! Paul Mooney, The Last Angry Man, Jack Lemmon for Some Like It Hot, Lawrence Harvey, Room at the Top, or Charlton Heston for Ben-Hur. Paul Jack Walker. Lemon. Absolutely don't care, Paul Jimmy Walker? Stewart. <laughs> Did I yeah. hear Paul Walker? <laughs> yeah. Is that the wrong for Paul? Fa- for Fast and the Furious? Yeah, yeah no, you know that uh, guy that's not so good at driving? I'm going, I'm going Heston. You know, I'm going Heston. I'm going to say Jimmy Stewart, and I don't necessarily think I'm going to win. I just, I, just, I just like saying Jimmy really Stewart. like Jimmy Stewart, man. Who doesn't? Jimmy it, Stewart. It's impossible he not to like the guy. Smooth. It's impossible yeah. not to like the guy. He doesn't. <laughs> the answer is Charlton Heston for Ben Hur. Nailed it. Uh, All right. Best actor. Ben Hur. The, the, the death rattle of the studio industry. <laughs> ben Hur. I haven't seen Ben Hur. Never saw him. Ben Hur. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, it's that movie with the red Corvette in it. Yeah, it's good. That was License to Drive with the Corys. Uh, some of the listeners are going to get that. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, it's a big epic. Best actress for 1959. <laughs> we have Simone Signoret for Room at the Top. Doris Day, Pillow Talk, Audrey Hepburn for The Nun Story, Catherine Hepburn, Suddenly Last Summer, or Elizabeth Taylor for Suddenly Last Summer? Ooh, I'm going to say Doris Day, Pillow yeah, Talk. I'm going Doris Day also. Have you seen Pillow Taylor. Talk? Taylor. I Taylor. love Pillow Talk. Guess what, guys? You're all wrong. The answer is Simone Signorette. Never heard God of dang. I just... Should have yeah, been Doris just, Day. Pillow Talk been Doris was a Day. great movie that, you know, explored uh, uh, party lines. That was the one that's animated where it's pillows that talk, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was that one where Cary Grant the, was a pillow. straight guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Anywho, uh, best director. Uh, we have Billy Wilder, Some Like It Hot, Jack Clayton for Room at the Top, Fred Zinnemann, The Nun Story, William Wyler, Ben-Hur, or George Stevens, The Diary of Anne Frank? William Wyler. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go Ben-Hur. Or, well, no, just a just a. We know something like it hot. Ah, son of a bitch, yep. Billy Wilder. Give me, give me. Like, I don't want to guess Derek's one, even though he's right. So what's the George other? George Stevens, Diary of Anne Frank, no. Frank Zinnemann, Nun Story, There's Jack Clayton, Room at the Top. Room at the Top. The answer is Willie Wyler, Ben Hur. Told you. Best motion picture. We have The Diary of Anne Frank, Ben Hur, Anatomy of a Murder, <clears throat> The Nun Story, Room at the Top. Ben Hur. Ben Hur. The room at the top. Ben <laughs> is the answer. And wow, Ben Hur really cleaned the fuck up. Yeah, he did dude. Three out of four at the top. Yeah, I knew it was best picture. But they like uh, those epics, man. They like those bladed old school epics. Back then. Sword and sandal movies. Best mm-hmm. supporting sword yeah. sandals. You know, sword sandals. Red Corvette. Yep. Yeah, best score and also best supporting actor. Ben Hur won a lot. Best sound. The reason why Prince of Persia did so good, right? Yeah. yeah. You know that oh. modern that modern classic <laughs> Prince of Persia? Sands and... Yeah. Starring Donnie Darko. <laughs> Sands and Sandals. Yep. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. 
The Sands of Time. I hate sand. In fact, it's yeah. everywhere. Was the name of the movie. So, so is that it? Right. Is that it for the sands Oscars? How many more Oscars do you want? I don't know. I mean, I don't do we do others? I mean, I don't this is a real know. flaccid should, should ending for the game if it is an ending yeah. for the game. Yeah. I mean, I could do other awards. Okay. That was Guess the Guest. It's called Guess the Oscars. I don't know what the fuck that's <laughs> oh god what else does anybody have any else anything else uh, to say about yeah, this movie i uh mentioned uh the kind of modern sort of correlations the other the other one that i uh, remembered was the idea of the friend zone oh i was gonna say this <laughs> so, um, yeah that that big speech that she gives when the uh the, you can't be friends with someone from the opposite sex apparently well there's that yeah, yeah. not then, in france and then when the uh when the aviator comes to the party and she like gets everyone's attention and mm. like her husband is standing behind her yeah. and she's like hey everyone hey everyone we're not fucking we just hung out a lot cool yeah. cool my favorite thing is her <laughs> her husband's reaction to that later yeah, is him. the best part the fact that he's just like commenting on the fact that she handled herself really well yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of like, oh, I'm so glad that you guys didn't have anything together. No, it's like, oh, you you handled your so well, well, like, yeah, so it was well all, in front of everyone. It was all yeah, about how excellent. she made him look, which yeah, it, yeah. he didn't care if she was fucking yeah, because him. Because right? it's all a game yeah, yeah. and there are rules. Rules to that game? Yeah. Play by the rules. Oh, I get it. But yeah. uh, there's rules of the you pretend to care about your wife fucking, but you really don't because you're yeah, fucking. Because Hitler is about to invade your country. It's true. It right. changes your perspe yeah. perspective a bit. Yeah. Uh, actually, <laughs> okay, hold on. Let's. I did want to actually kind of ask you because I'm you curious. Hear your wife swapping? I, no, I know this is a maybe a more serious topic, but because it is you know, Holocaust Remembrance Day, I want to ask you guys: What movies about the Holocaust do you like? Are there any specific ones that you enjoy? That's a weird question. No, dude. I don't mean enjoy, but are yeah, there, are, I mean, what's no, your favorite? Like, well, what's what's your favorite Holocaust movie? No, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't think it. I mean, like, no, no, I'm just way. saying it is an odd um, uh, thing to a, think about. A suggestion. I, I have a really, really bad habit of trying to say the worst thing that I can possibly think mm -hmm. of. Yeah, totally. And I'm not going to do that because it's. You were gonna say tears of a clown? No, I was gonna. I was, no, I wasn't. I, I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. I'm not gonna say what I was gonna say. No, until you tell me off. It's not Mike? even a good enough joke. Derek, yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna uh, make it. What? I don't know how to. Showa, Showa. Yeah, Showa. Wow, really that's good. a. That's a. You've watched that, huh? Yeah, that's a long Showa? ass documentary. It's very long. Ah. But it's it's so good. It is good. It's excellent. Uh, and it's really harsh. It just shows you a real harsh reality of, especially post-war, like to see uh, how memory has shaped uh, the Holocaust. On the, on the kind of like also, uh, it's, have you guys ever seen, I think it's Dr. Death, that movie, Dr. Death. I about the guy like a Marvel who, movie? No, it's a, it's a, it's the guy who basically. Um, Mengele? Uh, oh yeah, mm. he goes and he tests and he determines that the Holocaust never happened, and oh, he's he's a look. denier of it. Um, and and so the documentary is it's an Errol Morris documentary like about this guy, and it's it's fascinating. It's just really fascinating. But um, 
uh, that that's kind of like one two that I always think about because it's like wow you know you could be so like willfully ignorant you know and just and just like that's the total opposite you know of the way you should be yeah it's incredible uh, do you guys like life is beautiful yeah that's the one I was gonna bring you up like that that's, that's a good one I too. mean as far as like again this whole idea of liking a Holocaust movie but like is, it's okay Sean no no I mean just like it's I'll give you a pass. Do you like? Do you Schindler? feel qualified to do that? King of the Jews? Sure. <laughs> Can I put this on my business cards? Joey gives me a pass. <laughs> Given a pass by the King no, of the no, Jews. No, no, it's okay. I'm not racist. Here's my card. Yeah. Henry, Joe, Joe Bunya. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like the idea of like, do you like watching Schindler's List? Do you enjoy it? I don't like. It's not a movie that you watch to enjoy. I understand its significance. I understand that it's a great movie. Um, Classic romp. Yeah, yeah. That's not a fun time, you know, of Mm -hmm. enjoyment. Um, But yeah, Life is Beautiful is a good movie. It is an enjoyable movie and it does deal with the Holocaust a little bit. Um, It's been a long time and I want to say it kind of more plays lip service to it than actually like really getting into how horrible it was. And then we kind of move on from there. So I'm not even sure how much it qualifies as like a Holocaust movie. Yeah, uh, I think it's kind of a good point. Um, I, 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 the tough part about enjoying, I, maybe that's not the correct word. Yeah. Um, the pianist too is pretty good. The pianist. I do like the pianist a lot. Oh yeah, that one. The pianist. Yeah, is that the one that they shot over in? Uh... It was shot over there for some reason. Over Chitticaca. No, I was gonna. I'm trying it, to remember that part was... of the valley that. Uh... Uh, where's CSUN at? Northridge. Chatsworth. God, this joke is not working. Wow. <laughs> you have to ask so much information about yeah, it. That has to, yeah, this is yeah. not working. Uh, for yeah, those not in the LA area, listen, that's the listen. porn district. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jokes are better. I was than talking you. about yeah. the Adrian Brody one funny. in which he won the, uh, won the Oscar for. Yeah, the penis. Also another great use of Chopin in that movie. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Is it Stunning not pronounced Polish. Chopin? No, it is. Chopin? You're going to show pan your penis. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Derek. Yeah. Do you have any reviews for us? Yes. Well, I have a question for you, gentlemen, because it seems like we are kind of a little mixed. So should we hear a bad one, like a, like a one star? Should we hear a 10 star? What, 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 what do you guys want? Uh, only one. You can pick only one. Oh, we're picking only one. Oh, only I want, one. I want the bad review. Bad star. You I want, want the, the bad, bad review. review. Yeah, yeah. They're pretty funny. All right. Bad review. One star out of 10 from Clive Owen sucks. (laughs) (laughs) I love him. So it's also a review of Clive Owen. Just always. Um, Anytime you post. Clive Owen Owen would be good as like the Schumacher. Schumacher. Uh, That'd be be great. He'd be be good as Schumacher. Yeah. Why do you want to know? Because I'm a fucking caveman. (laughs) I mean, as he gets... Him as Schumacher... And then, uh, and then, um, Jude Law. As, Jude Law. That's who I was going to say. Guy. Yeah. He's too good looking, though. He is good looking. God, he's beautiful. Yeah, he is. Um, yeah, but anyway, <laughs> back in the 16th of what? July, 2005. Jude doesn't give mm-hmm. you a little chub. While Clive it's Owen all a spectrum, sucks. Joey. <laughs> um, Go ahead, go ahead, please. It's all good. Uh, so let him hang himself. So um, he talks about the fact that uh, I didn't watch a Star Wars I'm, I'm going to summarize some of it because it's a very long thing. 
Uh, he talks about kind of the fact that a bunch of people like this movie, and then he goes on to say, I will list some reasons why, essentially. Um, uh, and he lists four, five things that I'll go over. Uh, the film's reputation is one of the five, uh, the film's reputation as one of the five greatest films of all time. I've never found any reason to agree with this. It just creates a gulf of disappointment when it just turns out to be a silly bedtime farce. I think The Grand Illusion suffers from the same problem, although it's a much better film, by the way. Uh, it's as overhyped as any summer blockbuster popcorn flick. Hmm. Uh, number two, the arrogance of many of its defenders. Now, I don't mean all the posters here who like the film. Some of them have been very reasonable about it. Some do see that people have uh, their reasons for disliking it, but there's still the stink that this is a film you have to like to be taken seriously. Uh, number three, the insecurity of many of its defenders. Blah, 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 blah. Okay. That's the same thing, basically. <laughs> uh, snobbery towards the initial audience, the whole thing about audiences of the day getting it wrong or not understanding the film. Who says they didn't? Maybe they understood it too well, and that's why it flopped. Maybe uh, they, too, found it artificially boring. Uh, it's acting bad. It's plot plain silly. Uh, based on his name, I thought this guy was going to be a lot funnier. Yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, I guess he's not that funny. So reading too much into the history, that's his last thing that he says, like uh, basically the fact that it was made around the time of uh, World War II. And then, and then anyway, he says the film needs to be seen with low expectations and an open mind. Uh, the more people insist on its undeniable greatness, the worse it looks, the more it disappoints. Uh, 57 and 99 found it helpful. Yeah. 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 To quote right. Remoir, what seemed an insult to society in 1939 has become clear sightedness to everybody except for Clive Owen Sucks. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So he said that about Clive Owen Sucks. Yeah. He, he was up on the IMDb reviews. Yeah. 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 Rolling reviews. over in his grave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Checking yeah. the imitable. Mm -hmm. Doing Jaws? What? <laughs> Jaws? Okay. Um, so, gentlemen, um, final decision time. Um, oh, fuck. It's the final countdown. Let's go to Sean Faw first. Do, 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 do. Sean Faw. Yeah, let's do, get do, that do, bad do, review do. first. How do you rate this film? Um, I'm going to go two out of five stars. The usual. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously not being in English gives it a, you know... Maximum Lower possibility of four stars, um, but <laughs> mm. um, it, it yeah. I mean, it's like like I said, I just don't care. Um, there's some good stuff in here. Like I said, there's some respectable cinematography and some cool things, especially you know, sound wise, especially. Um, but fuck, man, like it's just a bunch of rich people fucking. Should somebody? Should people watch this? Should like film students watch it? Should anybody watch this? I mean, should is a weird thing, like. As far as like, if you were trying to study cinema to be a better filmmaker, mm -hmm. I don't think you have to watch this. Um, it's something that, you know, if, 
I mean, it, it's a very specific style and it might resonate with you. And that's kind of, you know, that's, uh, might resonate with random people or random filmmakers. And again, that might inspire an Altman or something like that. But okay. I mean, to say that this is like required viewing and this is like a quintessential to understand. No, I mean, it might've been the first and it might be noteworthy for things, but it's, there's so many other movies that you can get a lot more out of. Tim Snow, how do you feel about this film? Uh, I would rate this film. Um, indulge me here. Uh, I would rate this film as a, a knife among spoons because it, it's a it's a more useful tool, but it you know you get a little less pleasure from it maybe. Um, and that's all I have to say about that. What? Yep. <laughs> Oh, okay. You guys missed I, out on a, a fantastic a good one. No, that's a good was, analogy. I was trying to produce while he was. Oh, thank uh, you, Derek. I just didn't understand. I liked it. Yeah. I, I, I like that analogy. That's a good analogy. He said knife among spoons. Yeah. Isn't it beautiful? Like a Renoir painting. Hmm. And in the weirdness, hmm. I was trying to explain to Joey that the reason that Tim should go last is because we have normal review, normal review, normal review, and then knife versus spoon. Yeah. Immediately, yeah. it would make yeah. more sense. Okay, um, so give me your normal ass basic yeah, bitch Joey. review, Joey. Go, yeah. Joey. What an what a climax here. I'm gonna say a spoon knife. It's, it's, a, it's a spork. So uh, if there's ten utensils, um, I, I'm gonna give this a seven out of ten. I think it is pretty enjoyable. I, I didn't love it. I, um, it's a good movie. There's definitely a lot of great technical stuff you can get from it. Um, also, the acting is pretty good, uh, especially I didn't realize how much improv and how much kind of jam session there was on set. That makes me kind of appreciate a little bit more. Um, I wish it was a little bit more on the nose with some of the historical references. It seems like they were kind of dancing around a lot, just kind of alluding to the violence in the background. I wish it was a little bit more on point. I know that sounds like you know, a little bit Philistine of me, but I, I just want to see more of that. Anyways, but it is enjoyable. Um, I, I think the issue to me is, and again, I probably mentioned it earlier, I wasn't connecting with any of the characters. And I get that's kind of the point in that these characters are not supposed to be likable in many ways and you're supposed to understand that they're very indifferent to society and blah, blah, blah. But I just, I have trouble connecting. Makes without- you indifferent to them. In many ways. And I think maybe that, that's probably the point. And I'd get that. I just happen to not enjoy the film as much as I would enjoy some other films. But historically, probably something you should see if you're a filmmaker, I would say. Um, so, yeah, seven out of 10. Hmm. Derek, cool. please take um, it away. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to give this one, um, I'm going to get this one an 11 out of 12, which Damn. is the highest yeah. I've gone so far. Um, Again, this is probably uh, one of those films where if you do give it the time, uh, it will reward you. Um, there is more... Happy ending. It will just give... It gives back what... Uh, on multiple viewings, whereas a lot of films don't. You could just watch it at one time. And yeah, there's definitely time. a lot going, in and going on um, in the frame. Yeah. And uh, um, I really, I I think I re- I really like this film quite a bit, and I think that um, 
while I I do like for instance that IMDb review guy, I kind of agree with the fact that we should get away from these whole kinds of like greatest movie ever made yeah. kind of thing because it does put undue expectations on it. Uh, I think that it is a in a way obviously it's a, it's a farce and it's a comedy and everything. But there is an undercurrent of that kind of biting satire. Um, And obviously, like, in the moment, uh, you know, the society was, like, disintegrating when they watched it. uh, And that's probably why they (laughs) reacted the way they did to it. Um, And I think that we can still see some of that uh, around us now. And then there's still some resonant things in this film that are sort of timeless. and uh, I just wonder what he would do now with like, what would be the technology? What would, what would Robert in this movie like be collecting now? You know, like, <laughs> cause it's, it's just changed so much, but then at the same time, things haven't changed that much as far as the way people are, you know? Well, most of the stuff he's collecting, it's, it's already antique in this movie, right? Like it's. I, I don't think it's cutting edge technology, is it? Yeah, uh, no, no, no I, think, I don't think it's I feel like to be the. Antique. I don't think I'm. From, yeah, I'm just not familiar enough with. I think it's more time. supposed to be exotic than antique. Yeah, but is it is it new technology? Like everyone's kind of enamored by the player piano, but that's like 1800 stuff. Maybe we just haven't seen it in that area. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I like it. That's pretty much yeah. it. Um, have you seen Grand Illusion? Uh yeah. But how does that compare? Um I like it too. I still like this one better. Um yeah. I mean, yeah. Grand Illusion is like a I, I didn't pick Grand Illusion. I was thinking about it. Uh, I didn't want to do, you know, Derek does POW films. That's not <laughs> I know, have no idea what it's a thing that I wanted to do, like uh, you know, since I picked Man Escape, I was like, "Ah, let's give it some time in between my next POW pick," you know. <laughs> Is this, uh, and I don't know much about French farces, is this a good example of a French farce or is this, it just happened to have some French farce in it? Um, just see secret to my Would success. you say that this is a farce? I think that... To me, this is the definition of French farce, but that is based on apparently a definition that I've held my entire life that I can't justify with any Google search. So I was trying to find movies that were like, kind of like this and I can't nail down a genre at all. I think that it's a real gender bender. This one, I think that it, it, it it doesn't conform to genre bender doesn't work. I'm shown. Yeah. I don't, I I don't think it conforms to a single genre. I, like I think it's impossible to but, uh, again, completely. It compare dances it. between certain things See, at times. It does. See, that's the thing. It's a little vaudeville in there too. You know, yeah. like with some I dance the, macabre. But I think this is a genre of movie, and that's why I've always called. I've always considered this French farce. But that that specific style of movie where it's literally a bunch of people in one building, and they're all kind of like chasing each other's uh, tail around. Game night. Like, Never mind. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I feel like I've seen, I can't, na- I can only name Secret to My Success, unfortunately, but there's like, I feel like there's a bunch of movies Clue? that are like that. Clue, Clue, yes, but without the, um, as much of the, uh, relationship element. So uh. Clue, there is a little bit of interplay with that stuff, but it's more about the murder in that. Oof. Whereas this is all about the sex. What was the, what was that Noah Baumbach 
film. Squid and the Whale. Um, no, no, no. More recent than that. Greenberg. Uh, so after Francis Ha, it was um, still with Greta. Van Susteren? No, wrong Greta. Margot at the Wedding. While no. We're Young. Mistress America. Mistress America. So that one has a bit of, I think, what Sean means, which is the people going in, like opening a door and then declaring something and then slamming the door shut. Which is, I I actually don't even mean that though. I I mean more chasing, um, uh, lover, husband, wife, uh, through different doors. So like literally that fucking love triangle chase of like people kind of running in circles. Like I want to fuck this one. I want to fuck this one. But I want to fuck gotcha. this one. It's interesting because maybe maybe it kind of starts that in a way, but it doesn't really start it because this is based a lot on like marriage of figaro and uh and uh, a few other like stories that are similar to that where it is like you know if you actually drew a line everybody's in love with everyone mm-hmm. and it's just m- mad um just an orgy where everyone's smiling and not admitting to it yeah well i mean it's all like it's all like kind of lighthearted but then it's it's in this case, I don't. I think that there's an undercurrent that's not lighthearted. You know, it's not that. That's the reason why I don't think it totally conforms to that. Mm. Because um, ultimately, something tragic happens, and you know, in most of these well, things, no, I think that tragic happens. There is some. I think the more Hollywood version is that someone wins, but I think someone always loses in those. Like there is always the you know the scorned husband that was the kind of dick the whole time. And then, you know, it's the young kid that gets it or whatever. Yeah. I guess I just have to see the films that you're talking about Mm. or that because, yeah, I just, I feel like it's, I mean, maybe it started the whole thing for, yeah, for all we know. I mean, well, I feel like th- in 39, it did. Well, I feel like it's, you know, something that comes from, you know, old Shakespearean oh, yeah. plays and shit. Like, oh, yeah. I don't Marriage think of it's Figaro. In, yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. I know nothing. Mm. Yeah. Ended on a great note there. Yeah, yeah. dead air. Uh, so, You're uh, in charge. Yeah. There's this great podcast, the British History Podcast, which yeah. is available on... Uh, the podcast, the little purple uh, app on your telephone. What are we Guys, doing next week? Listen to a great episode on Churdich. Churdich? Yeah, yeah. He was uh, one of the founding uh, members of the House of Wessex, which, uh, of course, we all know to be the the house from which the royal, uh, broil, the British royal line uh, comes from. I brawled yeah, the other day. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Mixed between Anglo-Saxon. And uh, native Britain. What what are we doing next week? Oh uh, yeah, uh, we're gonna watch Rafifi. Rafifi. Uh, yep. Unless Rafifi. I change my mind, of course. Kafefi. No, Rafifi. Uh, it's a nineteen fifty-five. It's a uh, French film. Sean's excited. Damn it! He it's gets a, to read again. <laughs> more French films. Not a lot of dialogue. Uh, no. Yeah, not a lot of dialogue. Uh, yeah. From what I understand, I've not seen this film, but from what I understand, there's a 25 minute heist scene with zero dialogue that I'm very excited to see. Okay. Um, and uh, you know, uh, I'm I'm hoping for some people to hang dong in it. That'd be great. 
Uh, it's directed by, uh, directed by Jules Dawson, uh, an American blacklisted filmmaker starring Jean Sauvet as the aging gangster Tony Le Stéphanois. Uh, Carl Moner as <laughs> we're going through and reading all this. Yeah, there's that scene. Either way, where they just drop their pants. Yeah. Check it out; it's great. I listen to it every night as I'm falling asleep. You can also listen to our other podcast, which on ones? The Network. All of them. Literally oh. literary. Text Tune before calling. Going text down on South Park. Holla tinkering and Wild Wild West World. Sometimes. Kinda. Kinda. Yeah. Anyways, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your dad. Be sure to subscribe. tune in to, to TBC. That's the hottest of them. Also, it really helps us if you please review our podcast. Yeah. I really would appreciate it yeah. if you gave us five stars. Like, yeah. subscribe, and comment, yo. Yeah. Send us an Smash email. the like button. Hey, guys. Come to Sean's house. You can be part <laughs> of an episode. Honestly, yeah. we would let you come. Yeah. We'll pay you. You'll Joey pay will. Yeah, no, I'm you. Yeah, we'll, Joey's we'll going to pay the bus you. fare, maybe. I'll pay. Joey will pay. Pay their bus fare, maybe. Pay their bus fare, maybe? Pay their bus Depends fare, Depends on maybe. where it's from. I'll pay Not paying a bus fare from, like, Uber. Mexico. Pay their bus what? fare, maybe. We're pretty close to Mexico. Okay, no, actually, I'm not paying yeah, for be bus worse. fare from, like, fucking BC. Yeah. It's probably the same price. You think so? A bus is a bus. A Wait. bus is a bus. You know what? Honestly, that's fair. That's fair. I've never had a good time on a bus, but I've always saved money. Good time on a bus. <laughs> I could see them riding on that's the bus now. The bus. They're like riding on a Greyhound and they're just telling the person next to, to them, <laughs> Yeah, I've got to go be on a I'm podcast. Be on a podcast. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes. Get to review a movie. <laughs> yeah, see you. Okay, I'll see you yeah. later. And you we heard get to do it. We get to do it in the middle of the night, and it's going to be longer than the movie. <laughs> As always. <laughs> <laughs>